0: Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you all this gloriously sunny morning. So, we've had a bit of a week of sickness in our household, I do apologise if I cough and in my and cough. At one point, this week, I completely lost my voice, so um, this word is going to be delivered to you in the form of interpretation. <laughs> Thankfully, God's recovered my voice, and um, I, I put my uh, my teacher away. <laughs> so, um, as you probably all know by now, we've been going through the Beatitude in um, Matthew five, and um, these were the sayings that Jesus spoke just before he gave his Sermon on the Mount. So he was already up the mountain, and he um, gave some very wise words, some wise sayings. And um, I don't know if you know, but I have had a bit work today. And this term, we're also looking at, at the, the attitude, And we've been focusing on these are attitudes that we need to be. And, and how does that happen? Well, it's a work of faith. It's a work of faith. And I think the, the attitude I've got today, I think it's a problem. I think it's really difficult. Um, give me the attitude about nature. Fun, um, about love, great, poverty, yep, super. But I've been given the second beatitude, which is Matthew 5, verse 4, which is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So today I'm embracing vulnerability. So can we just step this out as like a a room where we can be good for each other, where I can be really vulnerable, I can be really real, you guys can be really vulnerable and, and real and respond in the way you, you feel that God's day to you today. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, partly, this beatitude is so tricky, and I think it's so tricky, because in our culture, we rarely look at death, grieving. We don't talk about death. We don't, we're not really faced with it unless someone we know or ourselves are going through a process of mourning and grieving. And even then we struggle, what do we say to someone who's dealing with a deep loss? How do we comfort them? Um, what do we do? We do we just, it's, in our culture it's, it's, not, it's not that normal. We don't talk about it, we deal with it, not in a particularly healthy way. But if you put this saying into the culture that Jesus came from, it's slightly different because it sits far more comfortably in their culture at the time. Their culture was used to um, death being a very public thing and very, um, they would have people who were paid to mourn. It was their job to, to wail and cry and beat their chest. And in the Old Testament, you would clearly know if someone was um, in mourning and grieving because they would change what they would wear. They would wear sackcloth, really uncomfortable clothes. Um, so it was, really, it was really obvious if someone was, was in a period of mourning. Jews had many laws and traditions um, concerning death. So this was a life moment for the Jewish people that was talked about and experienced and was quite normal. So when Jesus spoke about this on the mountain, people didn't think it was weird or hard. They understood what it was to grieve and then receive comfort. What Jesus did say that was revolutionary to the Jews at the time, was that now their comfort was to be found, not in tradition, not in people, but actually in God. (coughs) Jesus said something to them that was very deep and very profound. He gave them a spiritual principle. They were so used to, to dealing with it the, the way that, that had been presented to them their whole lives. They were used to dealing with, with death and with grief in a very cultural way. But Jesus said, no, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I'm giving you tools. Today, the spiritual principle was that they were to look to God for their comfort. Okay, so we live in a very natural realm. Yeah, we're governed by our senses, our intellect, our emotions, our physicality. But there is a spiritual realm, one that is just as real. And if we can grasp some spiritual principles, we find our lives are bigger, brighter, bolder, and more fruitful than if we just live according to the flesh. So today I really want us to grasp hold of that spiritual principle and apply it in our lives. I don't really want to do a massive Bible study as the text speaks for itself. <coughs> I will just give a brief, broader spiritual, uh, scriptural perspective. But suffice to say that even though our culture doesn't really address loss and grief, there is a lot of reference to it in the Word. Jesus himself experienced grief. In Matthew 36, this is only like 30 chapters on, um, from where we're looking at today, Jesus experienced grief and received comfort from God. And that was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was after the Last Supper and just before Judas was going to betray him, before he was going to go to the cross. Here is the Son of God in total humility. Verse 37 (coughs) says that Jesus, with Peter, James and John, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. So Jesus is feeling this intense feeling. So this is Jesus, the son of God. And he's he's saying to his disciples, I'm almost dying with sorrow. How did Jesus respond to those feelings, to that grief? He responded with prayer. He said to the trusted people around him to keep watch with him. So he didn't just deal with it by himself. He asked for those that were close to him, those that he trusted, will you watch with me? And he responded with prayer. He made a life choice as opposed to a choice of death. So so he chose um, to to follow God rather than make a choice of ultimately would lead, would lead him to, to death. Verse 39 says, Going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and on his face, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but as you will and desire. So it's not that he didn't experience those powerful emotions, he did. But he didn't sin. And in this passage, he models to us how to choose life when we're on the brink of actual death. At some point, we all experience mourning. Maybe not so literally as the story that I'm about to tell. But what is mourning? Why was Jesus mourning in the Garden of Gethsemane? To mourn is to feel or express sorrow or grief and just like jesus felt it's not necessarily because a person has died i mean that's the really obvious connection but it's not always that we can we can mourn we can grieve over a multitude of things it's a very deep deep feeling and when we feel that grief that morning that's when we have to receive god's comfort that's that's the spiritual principle that's the the mystery of the gospel, that, that hidden gem, that when we're feeling those feelings, we look to God. Revelation one four is the ultimate outworking of God's plan. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be anguish, sorrow, and mourning, nor grief, nor pain anymore, for the old conditions and former order of things have passed away. We're not there yet. So in the meantime, When we face grief, God promises us comfort. Okay, so there was a period in my life where um, mourning and grief became very real to me. And I learned this spiritual principle, the spiritual principle of receiving God's comfort by natural and physical experiences. So I want to look at the journey that I went on, and I'm going to invite you to come with me and look at the... um, the choices I made, and ultimately what God did for me and us, because it kind of impacts both myself and John. If I hadn't have gone through this journey, I would have been a completely different person. I not only grasped the spiritual principle, but my character was forged through this period of fire, and I became very different. I respond now very differently to the way I would have done a few years back, and hopefully it's more Christ-like. So, to give some context, the pain that I felt was magnified because of my faith. How can you say that? How can you say that you feel pain more because of your faith? What is this topsy turvy gospel? As a Christian, sorry, yeah, um, so, yeah, as a Christian, for me, pregnancy wasn't just a collection of cells multiplying to form a life, but it was a precious gift from God that God was knitting and forming within me. And Psalm 139, 13 says, for you did form my inward parts. You did knit me together in my mother's womb. And and we'd been married for a few years. We were working um, for a church up north We'd laid our lives down on the altar. We'd given everything up for God and for church ministry. And we felt it was, um, it was time to start a family. So I very quickly became pregnant. And it was a moment of celebration, of joy, of promise. I had really difficult morning sickness. But generally, other than that, I was absolutely fine. I was healthy. My body was doing what it should do went to the surgery numerous times everything was good everything was fine everything was healthy so we excitedly received our 12-week scan date through the post and I couldn't wait to go to that to that hospital appointment I was so excited to kind of to, to see the first image of of the gift God had given me so we attended the appointment to receive a crashing blow the technical term is a missed miscarriage So I still had morning sickness all day long. My hormone levels were all very healthy, but the baby had made it to nine weeks and then had grown no more. My body didn't recognise what had happened, so the natural process that would normally happen when there isn't life in the womb didn't happen and wouldn't happen without medical intervention. So coldly and clinically, an appointment was arranged for a procedure that would remove all traces of the pregnancy. This is all very well and good for the clinicians, but I was no clinician. At that time, I was a mother who'd felt like she'd just had her heart ripped out. There's a cry that pierces the soul of anyone who hears it. And that is the cry of grief. And I don't know if any of you have heard that cry in this room or even given that cry in this room. But it is raw and it's primal and it's full of pain. And the pain is not just of the physical death, but it's that death of hope. 1 Samuel 1.10 says, And Hannah was in distress of soul, praying to the Lord and weeping bitterly. This brought me comfort. The fact that I could be really honest and real with God, just like Jesus was in the garden. That in itself was comfort. Hannah prayed into her pain. She died to herself, to her own dreams, her own desires, and she gave up her family, her kids, She gave them to God. So at this point in my journey, I'm confronted with a big fear. There and then, I was faced with a choice. And I kind of um, made reference earlier to, to that thing of Jesus in the garden. He could choose life or choose death. And every day, we have choices to make. And ultimately, God empowers us to choose life so often in this fallen world and in our state, we choose death. We make choices that don't lead us to the kingdom of God. We make choices that, that lead us to darkness. We make choices that don't, don't lead us into freedom, into God's love and God's plans. We make choices that, that lead us into prison and, and, and lock us away. Even though Jesus had things he had to wrestle with and work through in the Garden of Gethsemane, His example is really powerful because ultimately he made a choice to life. He chose to submit himself to the will of God. He didn't respond with bitterness or with blame. And when we make those choices for life, it is always for our benefit. But it always has the greater cost. It's the harder path to walk, but it's so very worth it. Before this point, Emotion really scared me. I would never feel it, I would never face it, but I would shove it down as far, 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 far as it could go, hoping that by burying it, it would no longer be there. I would withdraw and I would embrace hardness of heart. Why did I do that? I felt safer, I was in control. I would do anything not to have to um, feel or face. And in all honesty, this was one area that I didn't want to let God into. I was fearful, I was stubborn, and I was unwilling to let go. Although I knew I was lacking fruitfulness in this area, I still clung to my lies rather than yield my heart to trust God with my strength. With, sorry, with myself. And how often do we do that? Do we, we create these lies that, that, that we think look okay and we think, oh, yeah, no, I can lean on that. That's fine. And God in his grace and his mercy comes and shows us and said, no, no, that's not truth. I'm not living there. You need to let me into that area. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know his own heart and mind? This was comfort to me it wasn't comfortable but i took that as comfort because i knew that i could yield my heart to god i could allow him in and he would reveal my heart to me and he would do his work god knew that the consequence of my choices this far would ultimately lead to death and his mercy he brought in his mercy he brought me to a point of making a choice for life so after the procedure I returned home to a very stark reality that this was a pain that was too great for me to hold on to. And as much as I would desire to squash it away with all of the rest of the pain that I carried, as much as I would want to keep God out, push him away, I made a bold and a brave choice. In my weakness, I consciously decided to deal with this grief with God, to look it squarely in the eye, I knew that it was his comfort I needed. And given this topsy-turvy gospel, the comfort I received didn't always feel comfortable. (laughs) I allowed myself to feel every bit of pain. I allowed and I lay down my dreams. I allowed them to die. I cried, I wailed, I got angry, and he was there in every moment. I could then release it. And God used this physical death Bring healing. My greatest moment of comfort came one afternoon. We'd returned from the hospital, completely spent, nothing left but that dull ache of sadness. I was in bed. I was also physically quite weak at this point. And I had such a revelation of Father God. I saw him in heaven and I saw him asking me for my baby. And I realised that it was a joy to give it to him. My comfort lay in the knowledge that the very best parent in the world was now looking after my child. I'm human, I'm flawed, I'm frail, and the comfort of knowing that my heavenly father took hold of that life, I felt there was nothing else I could do but willingly give that child to God knowing the reality right there and then that death had lost its sting and the grave held no fear. John then came upstairs and we sat on the bed together and I asked him if he could release our baby into the arms of the loving father. And that day we both learned the valuable lesson that Hannah learned. Our children are not our own. We have the privilege of parenting, loving them, meeting their needs, only for a brief time, they belong to God. And will we truly give them to him? Our role is that of a steward. Don't hold them too tightly. Release them to him. I healed spiritually, physically and emotionally. And I became pregnant for a second time. This time was different. I was more cautious. I was more tentative. I had to really fight negative thoughts. I had to battle with fear. I had to really trust God. And I started to bleed. So we went straight down to EPAL, which is the Early Pregnancy Assessment Unit. And God gave us an angel, Linda. She was amazing, a nurse there. And I had a scan and miraculously, there was a heartbeat. This point, my healing was tested. I was given a choice again. Do I choose life or do I choose death? But the bleeding became heavier and by the time of our next appointment, the baby had died. We knew the drill this time. We became quite accustomed to grief and pain and hard (coughs) doctors. But I was determined to push into God. At this point, fight and faith began to stir within me. Because I knew we had a battle to fight here. It wasn't just about my journey, wasn't just about my testimony, but this was a fight for our family. So this is a little bit of my journey and some some of the challenges I faced. But I'm married, so there's a whole other person here. <laughs> <coughs> um, and I'd like to ask John to um, just share some of his his journey at that time.
1: So I think she's practiced a little bit more than me, in which case she's held the emotion probably a little bit more than, than I will. But uh, as Pauline will share later, maybe this morning's a morning of taking masks off. Mm. Um, I wrote down, we're showing some scars today and they're scars and they're not wounds. Because wounds still stab with pain and hurt, but scars allow you to remember and feel, but you're no longer tied back there. <coughs> And that's that healing that we want to celebrate in the midst of the journey that we've been on. But if you think, um, when we got married, you may be shocked to know that Kate's a little bit younger than me. (laughs) She's actually uh, 12 years younger. She'd just turned 20 when we got married. At that time, obviously, I was just turning 32, and I was the MD in quite a powerful company. So it's the MD versus the young girl, not little girl, young girl, We'd left school a year earlier when, and then we'd been courting for just a year and got married. And as an MD, I was very much into developing people, and so this was my new project. (laughs) And perhaps that's how I saw it at the time. How did I learn? I learned very quickly. But it was interesting, in the early sort of months and years together, um, when there were those tense points, it was because Kate wouldn't rise up, she wouldn't fight me, as it were. Not literally, but she wouldn't push back. And there was very much always this just acceptance, the status quo she talked about, just step back, hide back, retreat. And I remember actually saying to her, you've got to increase, you've got to become more, and I've got to become less. We're unbalanced in the relationship. And actually one of the ultimate uh, outcomes from this journey was that very thing. Wouldn't have chosen the journey along the way. And it's interesting because I recognized when we had the first miscarriage, I was absolutely and absolutely devastated. I was just shattered. And the reason is as I look back, I'd only ever known favor in my life. I was 34, 35 years old. I'd never known anything go wrong that didn't come right in the end. And for me, this hadn't come right. And I'd expected when we went back for the second appointment, it would all be okay. And we'd prayed and we'd had faith, and it hadn't, it had gone wrong. And there was a real anger, I guess, in me, because I'd given up everything, as it were. That's how I saw it. I'd given up the job, the career, the money, the opportunities. I'd done it all for Jesus. And as you realize, you're full of pride, <laughs> because that's how you saw it. What a great person I am. What a great thing I've done by giving up. And there was a, there'd been an anger, but as God started to work, he started to show me that pride that was there. And I realised that at the same time as well perhaps the greatest vulnerability I had was actually then to fight when it's your own family because it hurts it really gets to you and it makes it so much more difficult and as we'd gone through the journey we just finished a, a refurbishment a huge sort of half a million pound refurbishment of a Methodist church that I was sort of working on and at one point I was there just before the opening and we were tight for time and I was sweeping out the kitchen so they were just finishing off the floor and I remember just crying and crying and crying because there I was as it were you'd given it all up you were doing all of this and God I'd got a wife at home that was in the darkest place you could possibly imagine just grieving and what could we do and what could I do I was absolutely hopeless and helpless but in, in all of this, you know, God took us on a journey where we found what the root cause of the issue was and why we were having these problems. And, and without going into that detail today, you know, there was a real victory that came and consequently we have two wonderful children. But why was it as well particularly difficult for me? I think as a man, you kind of connect, but you don't connect in the early stages of a pregnancy And when Kate told you the story of the second pregnancy, I was there when I saw a heartbeat. And that heartbeat was the most powerful thing because I just connected there, I saw life. And it was so powerful uh, for me, in that moment it was like I became a father. So when that baby didn't survive, I was more brutally hurt than even first time round. And It was the second time, obviously, it happened to us. And as we were by the bed together, I knew what Kate was going to say. She said, can you pray? Can you give this little one to God? And I said, no, I can't. I'm not ready. And I couldn't because I'd connected and I didn't want to let go. and hadn't maybe been on the same journey, but it was my journey. So we just stayed in silence for a bit. And then Kate prayed. She, she became more. She took her place alongside me. It was now partnership. And having, her having prayed, we just stayed silent for a few more minutes and then I knew what I had to do. It was that choice again. I didn't want the devil to have any victory in this. I wanted to know that both my children were openly, freely given to God. And so then I prayed and gave that second little one to God. And I finished by saying this, I knew that we'd never be the same again. It was that first step into a new place in love, in living together, but in marriage in being a true partnership. And that was one of the miracles that God had done through the process.
0: Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, As you know not what is the way of the wind, or how the spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a pregnant woman, even so you know not the work of God who does all. And we were, that was us. We were like, we, God, we don't know. But we can trust that you do. we dealt with ourselves we asked God for revelation knowing the truth of that scripture we don't know we don't know how the wind blows we don't know what you do in pregnancy but God you know all and you do all and in, in this process we were both faced with a big why question and again we could have we have life and we have death and there is a why that leads us to death it's rooted in anger and resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness. And it's why God, why? And there's a why that leads us to life. And it's rooted in trust and heartful submission to God's will. And it's, God, why? God is, is there anything that, is there anything we can do? Is there anything you can show us? Is there anything, any revelation you can give? Is there anything, God? And we asked the why question, but because we'd gone through a journey and a process and we'd we'd dealt with our our bitterness and our anger and and our hurt and and our blame, we learnt to be like Jesus and not enter into self-pity or anger or bitterness, But, but in that moment we just said, okay, God, why? Why is this not working? What's the disconnect? Is there anything here that that you can show us that we can do? And God did bring revelation and ultimately healing, but that is a story for another day. But like John said earlier, suffice to say, we've got um, Lily Rose, who is nine, and we've got JJ, who is seven. Lily Rose truly is a gift from God to us. And um, one of my real comforting scriptures in that time was Song of Solomon 2.1, And it talks about the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon that grow in deep and difficult places. And lily rose is the miracle of the glory of God in our lives. She came after a very deep and difficult time in my life. And she is a beautiful flower to me. And we had JJ, but not after a fight. Would I have chosen grief? No. (laughs) Am I grateful that God was comfort? Absolutely. Was his comfort always comfortable? No. Psalm 23 talks about thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. And what on earth is comforting about a stick that is designed to grab you by the neck and hold you back? Not a lot. Did I need to fall on the example that Christ set? Yeah. If I had let why... Become a stumbling block. Who knows what my marriage would be like, what my family would look like, what I would look like, who I would be. And I was the only one that could make that choice. Not John. He couldn't choose it for me, even though he might have wanted to. Not all of the angels in heaven or the demons in hell. I was the one that could make a choice. And I chose not to blame God or succumb to bitterness hard-heartedness, stubbornness, rebellion, anger, self-pity, jealousy, blame. I chose to feel and face all of those things and let God into all of those areas, like Jesus' example shows us. God helped me to choose life. like I couldn't do it by myself. But I had to feel all those things. I had to go through that process like Jesus had to, And then I needed to let them go, and then I needed to trust God. Hard-won battles. The hard-won battles are always the ones that impact us the most. So when you face adversity, grief, pain, I encourage you to let it go quickly. Embrace the journey. Don't fight God in it. Partner with him. The areas that we have the greatest authority, faith, and compassion in are the areas that we have had to conquer and win our hard won battles. And for that reason alone, it's worth going through the process, taking the journey. Um, If I could invite the band to come up and strum. Thank you. I'd like for us to um, be able to take a moment Thank you, Josh. and to close your eyes if you feel you want to. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come now and to search our hearts. Because I didn't realise how stubborn I was. I didn't realize that that my choice is to lock down my emotions. I didn't realize that they would would lead me to death and not to fullness of life in Christ. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you come right now and you you would soften our hearts. You would open our hearts. That we would yield to you, Holy Spirit, now. God, would you come and search our hearts? And if there's been anything that has challenged you today, If like me, even the acknowledgement that there are areas in your life that you haven't let God into. I encourage you now to just open those up and and be really bold and really brave and say, God, I'm gonna give you this. God, I'm gonna open this up to you. If God's challenging you to give him the things he's asking for, whether it's kids, Jobs, security, houses, money, whatever dreams or desires or even fears, just give them to him today. Just give them with abandon. Give them with everything. Don't hold on. Don't hold back. And if you feel that there is pain that you have, that you need to be really bold and brave and that you need to look in the eye, Take some time, this is a safe room, a safe place. Take some time and face that pain, but not alone, but with your heavenly father. Take hold of his hand and say right together, my hand in yours God, I'm gonna look at this. I'm gonna let you in. And if like Jesus and like Hannah, you've got pain that you need to pray into and pray through, take some time and pray. Or if you feel conviction in choices that you've made that aren't choosing life, that aren't leading you a path, down a path to fullness of life in Christ, say sorry for them today. and Leave them at the cross. Walk away from them and invite the Holy Spirit to help you to choose life. Whatever God has put his finger on today, take a moment And yield to him. The band are going to play. It's a really safe room. Take an opportunity. Don't walk by. Don't walk out of this place thinking, oh, if only I've missed a moment. Embrace this opportunity in this moment to really do business with God. Really be real with him because he knows it all anyway and it's not going to scare him. And if you feel you'd like to any prayer or you'd like to chat, Come to the end, at the end, come find the leadership and someone can pray and chat with you. But really take this moment, you and God, and just, I'd encourage you just to do business with him. If you'd like to stand as we sing this song.